I am surrounded on every side Can't see the light of day But I am persuaded beyond all hope You won't let go of me I seek my claim Welcome to worship this morning at Fusion. We're so glad that you're joining us here in person as well as online. Welcome. At this time, I invite you to stand up and greet one another. As we continue our worship this morning, hear these words from Psalm 103. 
Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases and redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Amen. Let's praise him um, today through our songs. And firm foundation, our rock, the only solid ground. The nations rise and fall, kingdoms once strong now shaken. We trust forever in your name, the name of Jesus. We trust the name of. Oh, yeah. 
I will wait for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope.
Amen. You may be seated. At this time, kids who are choosing to go downstairs for worship can meet Miss Janet over in the doorway there. And if they want to stay in, that's awesome too. We love that. And I feel like the adults are getting way better at this part of the blessing that we do, but they are owning us every week. So <laughs> let's put a little extra into it this morning, shall we? All right, adults, let's give our blessing. The Lord be with you. Great job, guys. Um, one other quick thing I was just asked to remind everyone of is that there are now offering boxes in the doorway. We are not going to be doing an offering time as we did in days of old. Um, but they are there. And if you are not comfortable or not familiar with online giving but you have gifts to bring, there are several spots for you to be able to do that as well. And now, it's a little quieter again, um, I would love if you would join me in prayer, beginning with the words from Psalm 33. The eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, who revere him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. And our Father in heaven, we praise you for that unfailing love, for your constant care, for how you watch over us, and how you take care of us, and how you see the big and small things. We thank you that you, we can always wait in hope for you, even when it's hard, even when we are not seeing an outcome that we want. We know that you are listening, God. We know that your plan is perfect. We thank you that through the sacrifice of Jesus, we can rejoice in your grace and that we can confidently trust you in everything. We lift those up in our community, God, who are missing a loved one who is no longer here. Those who are struggling with a terminal or a chronic illness or have family members who are. God, those are hard things and that pain does not go away, but we know you offer comfort and peace that none of us can. So I just pray that you pour out that peace on those who need that this morning. We pray for those who are a living testimony to us and to others by how they live in the reality of these losses and illnesses and pain. Thank you for their faithfulness. Help us to be so faithful. Continue to comfort those who need comfort. Show us how we can be your hands and feet to others, whether it's in big or small ways. We praise you for visitors and those who are seeking you and seeking to be part of a church community. May our doors and our hearts and our hands and our feet be open to receive all those who are seeking you. May we give a warm welcome that's a true reflection of who you are. We pray this morning for those who are worshiping in places where it's not allowed, where it's illegal, where they are persecuted. God, we just don't know what that's like but we just pray that wherever your word is going out, that it may be mighty today, that your kingdom may grow today in amazing ways. May your spirit blow through your people this morning, wherever they are. May it blow through this place, Lord. Protect and grow your church everywhere. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Pastor JB, Pastor Aaron, Pastor Bill, as they all are bringing the word this morning. 
May it truly be your words and your spirit that they are um, communicating with us today. And may we all go home knowing you better. We lift all of these prayers up in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Joan. And good morning, Fusion. Good morning, good morning. It is, uh, it's hard to believe that we're past the halfway point in March. Anyone else kind of surprised by that? Do we, uh, some people are excited. That's right. Spring is, is around the corner. Literally tomorrow, I was just told, is the beginning of spring, uh, even though this weekend it didn't quite feel like it. But, but St. Patrick's Day weekend this past weekend, it's March Madness as I understand it, there's a big game this afternoon between Michigan State and uh, Marquette. Go Marquette. Oh, we had a couple people with me. Yeah, there we go. Thank you, Nicole. And, uh, and, and spring break is approaching. So we've almost made it through. We've almost made it through winter. Summer is around the corner. Uh, maybe I shouldn't be saying that right now. But a couple of quick things. Uh, as, as Joan mentioned, again, just thank you for your continued generosity and faithfulness to this ministry um, we're, we're in a better spot than we were last year, and so just want to share that. More updates will be coming, I'm sure. Uh, but one quick announcement, uh, no, a couple of quick announcements. Uh, some opportunities this week I want to point out. Um, pause, I, we, I, we haven't talked about it on a Sunday, but pause is on Wednesdays um, a, 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 a time to just pause. Early morning on Wednesdays, here in the Red Brick Building in the basement, and then right before community night, uh, 7.30 and 4.45, uh, a time of, of prayer, uh, quiet and, and centering around the table, the, the communion, the Lord's table. So uh, that is a wonderful time of just slowing down intentionally for about 15 minutes. It's not long. Also, um, if you are a mom who has a heart to pr of prayer for, your ch for our children, uh, Thursday mornings here in the Red Brick in the basement, 10 a.m., there's a group of moms meeting for prayer as well. The other announcement is for all the parents, um, but all of us really, uh, that next week our little ones have been practicing to share and bless us with a song once again. We were targeting Easter and we were targeting or Palm Sunday, but as you maybe know already, those land right in spring break. And so in an effort to kind of get as many of our kids here as possible, we're doing that next week. And so parents, there's going to be a rehearsal here in the great room, 10:15 before the service, we're going to run through the song and... Uh, and if you're here a little early, that's great. You get a little sneak preview. But parents, 1015, here in the great room. You with me? You got it? Awesome. Uh, let's jump in this morning. Uh, I'm Pastor JB. If we haven't met, I'd love that opportunity, but we're going to be jumping right in this morning. Uh, we've been working our way, if, if you're new with us this morning, through the grand narrative of Scripture uh, using a resource called The Story. It arranges the Scriptures. Uh, editors have arranged the Scriptures in chronological order and then kind of filled in the gaps with these beautiful summaries to kind of give us a, an understanding of the whole narrative in script, of Scripture in a way that's very readable uh, for, for the for just the average reader. And if you remember, a couple weeks ago, we wrapped up 21 weeks in, in, the, in the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament, and we stepped into the Gospels. Uh, the Gospels, the Gospel is a Greek word that simply means good news. Uh, we refer to the biographies of Jesus. There's four of them as Gospels because they testify to the good news of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And uh, if you remember, we, we decided to kind of arrange our study of the Gospels slightly differently than how the story arranges the, the, the testimony of the Gospels. And we thought it'd be fun to spend one week in each of the four Gospels because each of the four Gospels 
Gospels share a faithful account of the historical life of Jesus, but they do so from slightly different perspectives with slightly different emphases. And we kind of talked about that last week. Like, if I was telling a story to my kids, I might tell it a little differently than if I'm telling the same story to my wife, Yvonne, right? Because their understanding of things, I can assume things, or I have to teach them a little more. And so similarly, the four Gospels kind of offer a little bit of a different perspective. Just a quick review. A couple weeks ago, we looked at Matthew. There's a little graphic there that kind of summarizes this in a, in a beautiful way. Uh, but Matthew is written largely to a Jewish audience. And so there's a ton of Old Testament quotations. There's all these echoes uh, from the Old Testament in Matthew's account. There's all these assumptions that Matthew makes. He assumes his readers understand certain things about Jewish culture. And so for us, 2,000 years later, we got to do a little digging to get into that context. Uh, but a couple weeks ago, we considered this key question as we considered the gospel of Matthew. Who is Jesus? If you remember, we looked at, at Matthew 16 and Peter answers that question that Jesus, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And we explored that Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Last week, we looked at the gospel of Mark and we remembered that Mark was written to a Roman audience. And so Mark writes in a style that's, uh, that's a little more crude, if you will. It's, it's more direct. It's condensed. And we considered this key question last week. Well, well, how is Jesus the Messiah? And we explored the answer to that. And Mark really emphasizes Jesus Christ as suffering servant. And we, and we centered around this, 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 this declaration of Jesus that the, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that's really the central verse in Mark's gospel. This week, we, we look ahead and we jump to the gospel of Luke. And Luke's account considers another question. Now, keep in mind, all of these gospels touch on all of these questions, but we're just looking at each of these questions through the different gospels. But really, Luke really emphasizes this other uh, question, who did Jesus come for? Who did Jesus come for? Now, before we dive into our text, a little bit of background on Luke's gospel. Luke is, is the, the longest of the gospels. You might not catch that right away because it's not the longest as far as chapters. There's more chapters in Matthew, but as far as just pure word count, Luke is the longest of the four Gospels. Not only that, but Luke also wrote the book of Acts. And so when you consider Luke-Acts as a two-volume work with one author being Luke, Luke and Acts account for 27% of the New Testament. Now just for context, that's more than the Apostle Paul. So Luke more, wrote more of the New Testament than any other author. Uh, the Apostle Paul, I think, is like 24%. Anyway, I just find that interesting. And a couple other things about Luke. He was a doctor. He's a very well-educated man, likely a Gentile. His command of the Greek language is, is brilliant. Uh, I don't say that, but scholars say that because my command of the Greek language is not brilliant. Uh, but he was a brilliant writer. Uh, he was a companion of the Apostle Paul, uh, com uh, accompanying Paul on his missionary journeys in the book of Acts. And we know this because in the book of Acts, uh, the, the language goes from third person, talking about they, them, and he, and they, right? And, and suddenly it shifts to first person. And suddenly Acts is written as, as we, and then we did these things because we assume that Luke then joined with Paul at this point in the story. Now because of, of, of Luke's background as a Gentile, because of his experience as a missionary companion with Paul, Luke, more than any of the other Gospels, has the Gentile mission in focus. 
And by Gentile mission, meaning that these promises of God, Jesus Christ came not just for the Jewish people, he certainly did, but it gets expanded to all people. Gentiles is a way of saying all people other than the Jewish people, which is good news because that includes probably most of us. Amen? Amen. Which is all good news, right? And so we especially see this uh, through the, the two-volume work of Luke-Acts. Now, one of, the places, well, one of the places where we see this most clearly is in the middle section of Acts. Now, there's, here's a poster from Bible Project. Again, check them out. You're not going to see the details. That's okay. But in the middle section of this poster, um, kind of, it, it kind of splits up Luke's gospel into movements. And this middle movement is, is when Jesus and his disciples, at the end of chapter 9, we read that Jesus turned his face toward Jerusalem. And then there's all these references of they're going toward Jerusalem. It's the journey toward Jerusalem. It covers 10 chapters in Luke's gospel. And, and by comparison, Mark, when, when Jesus turns his face toward Jerusalem, he only gives it about a half a chapter. Luke spends 10 chapters talking about this journey uh, of Jesus and his disciples going toward Jerusalem. And why was Jesus going to d- d- Jerusalem? To die. That's right. Oh, my word, Marin, I think. <laughs> Beautiful. That's right. Marin, from the mouth of babes. He was going to Jerusalem to lay down his life, die on a cross, and raise three days later. And that was in his mind. Beautiful, beautiful. And so these 10 chapters, Luke offers added focus to Jesus' purpose for bringing and being the good news to to all people, for all people, Jews and Gentiles alike. And he does it through various parables and counters told in Luke's account, many of them only in Luke's account. And our passage comes at the very end of this journey toward Jerusalem, Luke chapter 19, where Jesus kind of offers a summary of this kind of Gentile mission uh, as a focus in verse 10. And this all takes place in this well-known story of Zacchaeus. Now, my hope is, as we study the story of Zacchaeus, that our understanding of this story will be broadened beyond a well-known children's story. You know the one, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. I don't know how you preach on Zacchaeus without any reference to that song, um, but I promise that's my only reference, okay? So let's, let's jump into Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. If you're willing, if you're able, I invite you to stand as we read uh, and hear from God's word together. Luke 19, Jesus is almost to Jerusalem, entering the city of Jericho, uh, which is just east of the city of Jerusalem. Let's read. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save 
the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You join me in a word of prayer. Lord God, we thank you for your word. Your word that we study each and every week. We pray, Holy Spirit, uh, that just as you are at work in the, in the writing and the uh, arranging of these words, Lord, we trust, Holy Spirit, that you are in the reading and the hearing and the teaching. And so, Spirit, we pray that, that you would open our hearts, open our minds, open our spirits so that we would hear from you this morning. And in hearing from you through your word, Lord, that our lives would be changed, that our lives would be transformed, much like the life of this chief tax collector, Zacchaeus. We pray all these things in the wonderful, powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. God's people say, amen, amen and amen. It is, uh, maybe, maybe I gotta quit saying it's hard to believe, but uh, for your information, I graduated high school back in 2001, uh, which means that my formative years were in the 90s. Any children of the 90s? Uh, people willing to admit it? Yeah, okay. So uh, there's a picture of me and some of my best friends back in high school. We, we continue to be good friends today. Uh, and as I think about my life growing up in the 90s, and in many ways, uh, life seemed to be a little bit simpler back then. Uh, technology was a little bit limited. Music was awesome. I know everyone thinks their music was awesome. Uh, but we had like some hip hop was coming along. We had punk rock and, and, and alternative and some of those things. Anyone, ska? Yeah, yeah. That lasted about a year and a half, but I rode that thing for about five or six years. Like that was my whole high school. Anyway, I showed this picture to the high schoolers this past week and they were all kind of chuckling as I showed this picture because I don't know like the style, but like let me tell you, that anchor blue sweater was cool back then. And uh, that little shell necklace, I mean, that was high style, high fashion. The puffy vest, like that you could float if there was a flood, like that was, that was cool. And you laugh now, young ones, but it's all coming back around. This will be cool in another five years. I think bell bottoms are cool again, right? Am I right? Yeah, like it's all coming. It's all, it's all circular. So anyway, uh, that is, that is kind of my, my, some of my best friends. And, and one of the things as, as I think about high school, and I think this is true for all generations, is um, one of the things that was so important in those formative years was, was kind of finding your group like finding where you fit in, like where you belong. And, and back in the 90s, like there was kind of this social hierarchy in schools. And so finding where you belong and, and where you're welcome, that was huge. Like that was so important, particularly that first day of school when you're a freshman. I think it's still true today. Um, but I remember navigating that and like how challenging it was, especially when there was conflict or fighting within groups or between groups and you go to school and it's like, ah, I don't want to see that person. And I remember navigating that it was a challenge, but there was this thing like you would go home and there would be like a reprieve from all of that drama, right? You, you would go home or on the weekend for me, like I'd go to youth group and it would be like, oh, this is a safe place for me. Like my youth group was like my people and like where I belonged and my friends were there and like, and they loved me. And, and as I think about today, like fast forward to today, like social media, like in, in the world of the digital age, like there is no reprieve, Right? And, 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 and one false move you're, or an embarrassing moment or a mistake or failure and, and it never lets you rest. And so I think about my experience in the 90s growing up, like I don't envy those who are growing up in the challenging world today, but, but it's not just our young people. Like here's the thing, it, 
it impacts all of us, right? I, I was thinking about social media, and I think about it a lot, and I've tried to reduce my, but it's hard, you know, it's a challenge. Um, but one of them, one of the social media platforms is Twitter, right? And, and I'm more familiar with that platform than other platforms. But, but I was thinking about Twitter. Like, Twitter is this strange and ruthless space. Like, in some ways, Twitter is like high school on steroids, right? You can chuckle a little bit. But it's, it's, it's a strange space in that, like, there's a lot of people on Twitter who are, who are, like, trying to prove their worth within a particular social group. Like, I got a tweet or I got a, I got a comment on certain things to show you that I know and I belong and I'm thinking the right things and I'm on your team. And on the same, and on the other side of it, it's like, it's ruthless. It's a ruthless space because one misstep on Twitter and you're like chewed up by the masses, tossed aside like tra- trash. And oftentimes, ironically, those who are, who are chewing you up and spitting you out are the, the ones who are in your group who are using that to prove that they belong to that in-group, right? Twitter is like, it's like high school drama for adults with no escape, right? It's ruthless. Now, I mention that because I, I want us to do is, is, is consider this man Zacchaeus, a man who, in his context, uh, was chewed up and tossed aside because of his profession. And yet, Luke 19, verse 10, I want to just, this is kind of the text I want to center our study around. Uh, Jesus says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, that word lost uh, comes from a, a root word, olethros, which means to ruin or to destroy. So another way of reading this would be, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the ruined or the destroyed, the lost. You with me? You hearing it? This morning what I want to do is simply take this verse and use this encounter, this powerful encounter between Jesus and Zacchaeus to explore this claim of Jesus that he came to seek and to save the lost. We're going to begin that study by looking at the lost through the lens of this man, Zacchaeus. He is our obvious candidate for who is lost in this story, Zacchaeus. Well, let's study verses 1 through 4, looking at this verse. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus is lost in a lot of ways. Luke includes some details about Zacchaeus that cue us into Zacchaeus' status among his people, the Jewish people. The first thing we learn about Zacchaeus is, is he is a chief tax collector. Now we've heard that, we've heard tax collector before in the Gospels if you're reading through, but this is the first and I believe only time that we read chief tax collector. Um, Luke is telling us something about Zacchaeus. Uh, in the ancient Roman world, there was this practice of, of, of tax farming. And so the Roman government would, would set out uh, contracts and people would bid on this contract to tax the people of that particular region. So different Jewish people would bid on that contract. Whoever got the contract would be able to tax the people for that amount and beyond. And whatever they taxed the people beyond that amount that they bid for that contract, they would be able to keep for their own selves. And so tax collectors became incredibly wealthy, and now here we have Zacchaeus, who's getting a cut from all of these tax collectors, and so he's like the top, go- top dog. He's kind of the godfather of the tax collectors, right? In charge of multiple tax collectors in this particular region of Jericho, Jerusalem, Judea. Kinda, he probably has a territory that expands. 
Now, scholars estimate that tax, taxes, people experienced taxes in the ancient world of anywhere between 50% to 80% of their income. Let's just pause there. Wow. That is, a, that is a hefty toll on people who aren't making all that much in the first place. And depending who your tax collector, I think some of that variation is how much extra are the tax collectors taking? Now, another piece of context is the city of Jericho, which sits just miles east of Jerusalem, is down the mountain, and it's kind of this resort town. It's really a place where, where people left the city, kind of like the vacation town. It's kind of like the Florida of, 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 of Israel, Florida or Arizona or wherever we go to go get out of the Michigan winter, right? Jericho is kind of that place. This is where people had second homes, and so a lot of wealthy people lived in Jericho. Zacchaeus is a wealthy man, in fact, uh, Luke adds that. He's a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. And, and that's kind of redundant. It's like, well, of course he's wealthy, right? But he's a chief co tax collector and he's wealthy and his wealth came at the expense of his brothers, uh, Jewish brothers and sisters. The second thing we learn about uh, Zacchaeus is he was small in stature. The Greek in the NIV uh, is translated, he was short. But translated literally, the Greek says is he's small in stature. Small, same word as least or least of these. Uh, stature could also be uh, referring to status. And so Luke might be giving us details about, about Zacchaeus's height, and that's how it's often interpreted, or, and maybe both, he's also saying something about Zacchaeus's status within the community. That, that his, his status, his, his character, those are also small. Maybe both. What is clear from Luke's details then the context of the story is that Zacchaeus, he's an outsider. He's an outcast. He's despised, and for good reason, for, for the way he's abused his authority to take advantage of, of, of the poor among his own people. He, he may have been a man of wealth, but it came at the expense of his fellish, fellow Jewish people. He was a greedy traitor who did not measure up in multiple ways. Zacchaeus. And here's the thing. I, I think he, ha he knew it. I think Zacchaeus knew it. He had to know it. He knew that he did not have the approval of his people, and I think that's part of the reason why we see his avoidance of the crowd, and he's running, he's climbing up a tree. As I think about Zacchaeus, this outsider, this outcast, what we also are told by Luke in this story is that it seems Zacchaeus, though, is very clearly curious. Despite his low status, beside, uh, despite his questionable character, his short stature, Luke includes some details that reveal Zacchaeus is also curious about this rabbi who has come into his town of Jericho. We read, he wanted to see Jesus. We're told Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus, but there's a crowd that has become a barrier to him. Most often that's interpreted as it's this physical barrier, and it most likely is. He can't see over the crowd, but I wonder if there's another dimension here that there's also a social barrier. Because he can't see over the cloud, but he also doesn't belong in the crowd, right? He wouldn't be welcomed in the crowd. Can you imagine him trying to work his way through the crowd and be like, hey, can I, uh, can I get in front of you guys? They're like, Zacchaeus, get out of here. You got no place with us, man. There's a physical barrier. There's also a social barrier with Zacchaeus. And so whatever, whatever the reason, Zacchaeus goes uh, to great lengths to overcome this barrier of the crowd, and we're told that he runs ahead and he climbs a tree. Now you have to understand, we've talked about this before, but those two behaviors were not acceptable for Jewish adult males. 
grown Jewish men do not run and they do not climb trees. That would be shameful. That was, that's what children do. But here Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus so desperately. He runs ahead. He climbs a tree in order to see Jesus. And now he's up in this sycamore fig tree, which is a very specific kind of tree, and now he can watch Jesus from a safe distance. Now, one of the other details about a sycamore fig tree is these are, are uh, tree, large trees with big leafy branches. And so in, in many ways, you can picture Zacchaeus in this, on this branch kind of hidden behind some leaves, getting a peek of Jesus from a safe, hidden vantage point. Zacchaeus, a man despised, but a man who's curious and wants to get a glimpse of Jesus from just a safe distance. And as I think about Zacchaeus, I just want us to step outside of the story for a moment and just begin to ponder and ask some questions. Because I was just thinking about this passage, just spending a lot of time in this passage this week, and I just began to wonder, like, who are, who are the Zacchaeuses in our world today? How many people in our world have been, have been written off, cast aside, maybe for good reason, like Zacchaeus? You know, our world can, can be a, a brutal and unforgiving and unrelenting place. Who are the Zacchaeuses in our world? And then I, I want to just ask another question, just to, to dig just maybe a little bit deeper. And maybe, maybe some of us even here today can relate a little bit to Zacchaeus. Maybe not the same egregious sins or whatever, but, but maybe on the outside, it seems like we got it all together. But on the inside, we, we just feel like we, we just don't measure up. Maybe we feel like the outcast, the outsider, for whatever reason. Or, or maybe like Zacchaeus, we're, we're curious to catch a glimpse of this Jesus. We, we want to see Jesus, but, but we want to see him from a safe distance, right? Kind of at arm's length. Jesus seems interesting enough, but, but there's also this crowd who who can kind of become a barrier for us seeing Jesus. How many of us can relate to this man who's now hiding in a tree, trying to get a glimpse of a rabbi who's coming through town? Well, Luke continues the story. And despite Zacchaeus' status, despite his, his questionable character as a chief tax collector, a man who's clearly lost, Luke continues to share that Jesus is coming his way. And notice as we begin with verse 5, Luke continues to share more about this encounter and it reveals how Jesus comes to fulfill verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Verses 5 through 7 are all about Luke showing how Jesus is seeking after this tax collector Zacchaeus. Luke gives us several details in this account to show us just how Jesus is the one seeking after this lost tax collector. Just consider the details we're given to just show how, how Jesus is intentional in his seeking after Zacchaeus. In verse 5, again, we're told that Jesus is coming this way, and here's just verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, let's stop right there. It appears that Luke is telling us that Jesus has walked directly to where Zacchaeus, like he was going for this spot where Zacchaeus was hanging out up in a tree. When Jesus got to the spot where Zacchaeus is, he looked up and said to him, he sees him. Notice that's significant. There's no wasted details in this story. Luke does not waste details. He looks at Zacchaeus. He sees Zacchaeus. Then he says to him, Zacchaeus. Notice he uses Zacchaeus' name, right? 
We've been talking a lot about names. That's why we got these name tags. There's something powerful when someone knows you by name. How does Jesus know his name? Well, he's Jesus, right? He doesn't need a name tag, but he calls him by name, and then he says, come down immediately. In other words, get out of the tree. Stop hiding up in a tree. Come down to me. And then Jesus, in a remarkable statement, says, I must stay at your house today. Jesus invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house. In our context, we're like, that's a little forward, a little, a little nervy maybe, um, but, but we, don't even, we don't even begin to understand the gravity of this statement because in the ancient world, to eat at someone's home, much le- just to accept an invitation to come to someone's home, much less invite yourself over, demand that you need to eat at their home, to eat in someone's home is to say, you, are, you have my approval, you have my love, you have my acceptance. It was a public declaration of Jesus' love and approval of this man who was known as a sinner and despised. It was a huge deal that can't be overstated. Which is why so often when Jesus is eating with, with sinners, right, he gets all kinds of flack throughout the Gospels for eating with tax collectors and sinners, right, over and over and over. And, and in verse 7, once again, we witness the consequences of such a posture, an open posture toward those the world deems as sinners. Because people begin to mutter, verse 7. We read this. All the people saw this and began to mutter. We've got to fill in some of the stories. Zacchaeus comes down from the tree, uh, we read in, in verse 6, and he welcomed Jesus gladly. Now, presumably, uh, Luke leaves out some details. Presumably, he's in his home. In, Jesus is at Zacchaeus' home at this point, and the people of Jericho see this dinner party taking place, and so they begin to mutter. He's gone to be the ho- a guest of a sinner, right? Now, the word mutter here is, is a really fun one to say, so... You want to say this one with me? Uh, Diagaguzo. You want to say it? One, two, three. Diagaguzo. Uh, that's, uh, anyway, I'm not going to make a comment on what that sounds like. But anyway, that, it's just a fun word to say. Diagaguzo. It, it literally means to grumble. It, it means to murmur. It means to complain. Kind of this group of people who are we're just scoffing and like, I cannot believe that Jesus would associate, would he show love and acceptance to a sinner like this chief tax collector of all people, Zacchaeus. I cannot believe that Jesus would be there. Now, we're going to touch on this word uh, diagaguzo in a little bit, but again, step out. This just got me, again, beginning to wonder. As I began to think about our own context, I began to think about this muttering crowd, like, who's, who's the muttering crowd today? In our context today, it's all too common for the masses to be muttering, grumbling, murmuring, tweeting their grievances about the Zacchaeuses and all those who associate with those people. It's far too easy to do it today. And again, to take it one step deeper if we're brutally honest, how many times do we catch ourselves being part of the muttering crowd? I won't ask you to raise hands, but I'll raise mine. It's so easy to get caught up in the grumbling. It's so easy to get caught up in the evaluating and the judging, especially when we can see everything in our digital world. We know everything that's happening. And not only that, not only can we see everything in our digital world, but we're actually, uh, we can have an opinion about everything. 
And sometimes we're expected to have opinions about everything. And so we share our opinions on social media or whatever that platform is about people, about organizations, about churches, and the list can go on and on and on. And I can't believe doing it from a distance. And I, and I, and I friends, I, I just can't help but wonder if how often is this muttering and this grumbling, this crowd, especially when we as followers of Jesus Christ join in, I can't help but wonder how often is that become a barrier for the Zacchaeuses in our world who are curious and actually want to get a glimpse of Jesus. There's that crowd again. Again, gets me in the heart there. But Luke's story continues. Luke continues to testify that this muttering crowd could not and would not stop Jesus. Jesus heads to the home of this lost sinner and something miraculous happens. And I'm not overstating when I say salvation because that's the very word Jesus uses in verse nine. Luke's retelling of this encounter ends with Jesus living into this claim of verse 10. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. And here we have an example of Jesus saving Zacchaeus. Indeed, Jesus' pursuit of Zacchaeus culminates in Zacchaeus' own salvation. Again, Luke seems to skip over some details, right? He doesn't fill in all the gaps, but, but, but we can assume that, that Zacchaeus, Jesus is at Zacchaeus' house. One of the cues is verse eight, but Zacchaeus stood up. Well, it's like, well, when did he sit down or when did he lie down? Well, that's a good cue that they are actually at Zacchaeus' house. They're reclining at a dinner table. And so Zacchaeus, uh, at some point during that dinner, he stands up and he offers this incredible declaration of the transformation he's experienced. It's a, it's a response of radical repentance and reconciliation. He is a changed man. Repentance. I, I, I give away, I want to, whatever, I give half of my possessions to the poor. That's an act of repentance. And, and if I've cheated anybody, I'm going to repay four times. He's trying to make reconciliation, restitution to all those people that he's cheated. This is an incredible act of transformation by Zacchaeus. And then Jesus sums it up by saying, today salvation has come to this house. What I want to do is just draw, it's right on the screen, but draw the parallels between verse 5 and verse 9. Today, salvation has come to this house, Jesus says. Did you notice what else came to Zacchaeus' house that day? Jesus. In fact, some of the same language, Jesus says, I must stay at your house today, verse five. Well, the interesting thing is Jesus' name in the Hebrew, Yeshua, is kind of an abbreviated form of Joshua. And in the Hebrew, Jesus' name literally means the Lord's salvation or the Lord saves. So when Jesus came to the house of Zacchaeus, salvation came to the house of Zacchaeus. Salvation came to this house in verse 9 because Jesus, Yeshua, salvation came to this house in verse 5. And here's the thing. When Jesus pays a visit, it changes and transforms absolutely everything. Zacchaeus' life is changed because Jesus paid him a visit. And not only that, but everyone else's life in that region is about to change because when the chief tax collector has this kind of transformation, what we're all hoping for is their experience and their taxes went, are gonna go down, right? <laughs> their taxes are gonna go down. But here's the connection I wanna make, even beyond that. 
I wanna make a connection from this story in Luke 19 to the rest of Luke's gospel. And more specifically, I think there is a very clear connection between Luke 19 and Luke 15. What I want you to do is consider the story that we just wrestled with of Zacchaeus and Jesus that we just walked through very slowly and now listen or maybe read along, not out loud, but I'm gonna read Luke 15 verses one through two and you tell me if you hear any parallels. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now did you notice all of the parallels? You have tax collectors and sinners. You have people gathering for a meal. You have Jesus' association with those sinners and the people grumbling about it. But the big one is underlined, and it is the word muttered. Do you think that's the same word in Luke 19? Absolutely. In fact, Luke uses that word, diagoguzo, the fun one we got to say, he uses that word exactly twice in his entire gospel. There's other words he could use for the same act and, and uses elsewhere, but he uses that same word twice, and here's the reason why. He is linking these two stories. When we get to chapter 19 and Jesus says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, Luke wants us to remember Luke 15 because if you continue reading in Luke 15, Jesus will go on to tell three parables. We see them as three parables. It's really one parable about things that are lost, right? Parables about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then famously, the lost son, the prodigal son, Luke 15. And here's the thing. These parables are actually illustrations of Luke 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Here's the one point I want to make. The third of those parables, probably the, one of the more well-known parables of Jesus, the parable that we call the prodigal son. Now, if you're with us a year ago, we, we studied this parable just last year, and, and you'll remember that the parable that's called the prodigal son or the parable of the lost son could actually be named the parable of the lost sons, plural. You with me? Because if you read the parable, a closer study of the parable will show that, that there's two sons in the parable, and both sons, the younger son and the older son, they're both lost the younger son, who is more well-known, is lost in his sin and his rejection of the father. He goes off to a foreign land. He squanders his father's wealth. But when he returns, the, we, we are introduced to an older son, and we realize that the older son is just as is lost, just as lost. But he's lost in his own obedience to his father that he's done just for his own gain, and he's lost in his own disdain for his brother, which becomes disdain and contempt for his own father. Both sons are lost and friends, this reminds us in a powerful way that there are many ways to be lost. There are many ways to be lost. You see, Zacchaeus in our story is lost in his sin, in his rebellion, his rejection of the Torah, just like the younger brother in the prodigal son. But in the same respect, the muttering crowd is just as lost in their judgment and their contempt just like the older brother in Luke 15 when his younger brother returns. Both brothers in Luke 15 are lost, were lost. Both Zacchaeus and the muttering crowd in Luke 19, they're lost. The only difference is only one in those two groups knows it, right? 
The only difference in both cases, only one, Zacchaeus and the younger brother, accept the father, accept Jesus' offer of grace. Both of, both of them, they recognize their sin, they, refu- they receive this gift of grace, and both of that gift, I, I, maybe not ironically, but how does that gift of grace come? In the form of an invitation to dinner, <laughs> a feast. And on the flip side, both the older brother and the muttering crowd they excluded themselves from that feast. They excluded themselves from that banquet because they could not see their own sin. Instead, they were so fixated on the sin of someone else that they failed to see their own sin and judgmental hearts. And friends, as, as we close here this morning, where, where I want to land is, is where we land just about every week, the gospel. Because here's the reality. We all have different stories and yet we all share a story and that we're all lost people. We're all just lost in different ways. Our world increasingly is, is, is set up to draw lines that divide between different groups of people. These people are in, those people are out. This person is celebrated while, while that person is no longer worthy of our love and approval and, and the internet becomes this kind of social battleground or battlefield where all of these things play out, where some are celebrated, others are brought down to ruin, and ironically, you go to another corner of the, in, the internet, and those tables are turned, and the other side is celebrated. The other. Well, friends, Jesus enters this world, and he, he turns that kind of thinking right upside down on its head. And Luke's gospel account highlights this so beautifully. You see, Jesus, throughout his ministry, he's breaking the mold. Jesus, you read, you read Luke through straight from front to back. You read the other gospels as well. But Jesus is constantly moving toward the marginalized people groups of his time. The poor, women, um, the, the, the sinners, the marginalized, the outcast, the sinner, right? He's constantly moving toward them and offering them grace. And on the flip side, Jesus is so often challenging the religious elite. Why? He's challenging them because they're lost and ruined in their own stubbornness and pride, right? Jesus shares multiple teachings and parables that kind of blow up people's notions of social order in this particular world. And and not only that, but go to the disciples who Jesus calls. Jesus calls 12 disciples to follow him, this ragtag group of people who would have never associated with each other in that day. Most notable, two examples. You've maybe heard this before, but he calls Simon the Zealot. A zealot is 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 a political rebel who's dead set on overthrowing Roman's occupation of the Jewish people, and they, they want to overthrow Rome by force, violent force. And on the other side of that same spectrum, you have Matthew, or Levi, who is a tax collector who Jesus called. Someone who was colluding with Rome. Like, these two guys would have been enemies, and this zealot would have wanted to kill this tax collector, and yet, as they follow Jesus, these two enemies become brothers. And by the end of Jesus' ministry, they're joining Jesus around a table, (laughs) a feast. Because friends, what we're about to participate in, the Lord's Supper, in just a few moments, here at the table, at the Lord's table, all are welcome. 
who simply recognize I'm a lost sinner and I'm in need of Jesus Christ. Who simply recognize and receive this gracious welcome of our Lord Jesus Christ. The, the table is the ultimate leveler, just like the cross is the ultimate level ground. Because around this table, we remember that Jesus Christ has done all that's required. For Zacchaeus who thinks, I don't measure up, Jesus has done everything that's required. For the muttering crowd who think you've kind of got it together, no, 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 all you, you, you can't do anything. Jesus has done all that's required for you to receive this gift of grace. Jesus died for you and he died for me and he offers himself to us and all we need to do is say yes. Hear the invitation of Jesus who says come for all things are now ready. Will you join me in a word of prayer as our worship team comes forward? Lord God, we thank you for the cross. Lord, we thank you for not just the cross, but Lord, the, the, the ministry, the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, words and accounts and parables and stories that are all preserved by your spirit in your word. And Lord, these words continue to speak life into our circumstances today. God, this morning, for, for those of us maybe this morning, we're, we're wrestling because we just feel a little bit like Zacchaeus and we feel like, you know what, Lord, I, I, don't, I don't measure up. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy enough. Lord, Lord, may they hear your gracious word of welcome. Come to me. All who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Lord, that there is nothing we can do to earn this gift of grace. And Lord, for those of us who, who find ourselves being drawn to that muttering crowd, Lord, we, we repent of that pride and that judgmentalism. We repent, Lord, of those times where we, we think that we've done what is required, that we are worthy. No, 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 Lord. Only you could do what was needed for us to receive this incredible gift of grace of the gospel. And so, Lord, draw us in, in comfort and challenge and repentance to receive this gift of grace, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Just a few words of instruction as, as we participate together. Um, we have two stations up front here just as, as after you're invited, as you feel ready, as our servers are prepared, just invited as you feel ready to come down these side center aisles uh, partake in the elements, go toward the outside. There's trash receptacles to uh, put away the cup. Um, but take a piece of bread, take a cup, uh, partake, and return to your seat. Um, if uh, gluten-free um, is, is what you prefer or what is needed, there's a station in the back. Uh, if you need to or would prefer to stay at your seat, just raise your hand and someone will come and serve you where you are. Uh, but as we come, Friends, understand that this is a meal of grace. And we receive grace in faith. And Jesus Christ says that, that faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains. 
So even if you're in a place today where you're like, I believe, but help me in my unbelief, you're welcome to partake. And we have a table where that's open for children who want to partake as well, parents who've, who've had that conversation, and so come uh, and experience God's grace. But before we do, let's remember uh, that final night with Jesus and his disciples. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And after giving thanks to God, he, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, our Lord Jesus took the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant sealed in my blood, shed for you for forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink of it, do this in remembrance of me. And so we come to the table of our Lord Jesus Christ, understanding and believing that our Lord Jesus gave his body and shed his blood for a complete forgiveness of all of our sins. Come, for all things are now ready. Servers. We were waiting without hope and without light till from heaven you came running. There was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophet. To a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the Despise the cross, or even 
the other side knowing this was our salvation Jesus for our sake you died praise the Father praise the Son praise the Spirit three in one God of glory majesty with this chorus and it might not be familiar but as it becomes that way feel free to join us and let the words sink in
to the only. now go with these words. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Go in peace. Your promises will hold together, and I will dwell in the hope of your love forever. I am convinced that your promises will hold together, and I will dwell in your love, and I will sing through fire and thunder, cause you are on my side, I trust you with my you